We're in a series going through First and Second Timothy, and we just love going through books of the Bible here at Westside. And um, we started this a number of weeks ago, and we're now in chapter two. <laughs> That's just what we do. We just kind of go line by line. And um, just by way of illustration, I'm going to ask you if these names sound familiar. Um, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, and Jimmy Carter. Those are probably familiar names, correct? Right, right. Those were the sitting presidents from 1949 to 1977. Now, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Does this name sound familiar? The name Emma Danielle Gray. All the other names are pretty big, right? I mean, those sound pretty familiar. We learn about those in history books. But the name Emma Danielle Gray, you should know because all of those sitting presidents were immensely impacted by Emma Danielle Gray. You see, Emma Danielle Gray started every day by leaving her seven children and riding about an hour and a half um, bus and then train ride as she lived in northern Washington, D.C., all the way down to the Capitol, where she was employed for all of those years, from 1949 to 1977. What was her job there at the White House? We have a picture of Miss Emma. The job official title was chairwoman. That was her title. Um, there she is shaking uh, uh, hands with President Jimmy Carter. And chairwoman translated, Miss Emma Danielle Gray, for all of those years, was the only person who cleaned the president of the United States office. And she was the one. Why is she known throughout the pages of history? And why did every single one of those presidents know who she was? Well, nobody found out about this until she passed away in, on June 8th, 2009, when one of her children told this story. She said, it was my mother's routine that she would arrive at work early, even though she had such a far drive to commute, and she would be there and she would get to going on her to-do list and she was cleaning the president's office and she loved her job and held it with great dignity. And she would be cleaning the desk and the moment that Emma Danielle Gray got to the president's chair with cleaning supplies in one hand and the other, she would kneel down and touch the president's chair and in that moment, every single morning, Emma Danielle Gray prayed for the President of the United States by name. She said, God, give this man great wisdom as he leads this nation. And God, may his presidency be a delight for those of us who follow you, Jesus. God, be with his family. She would name the President's children, his wife, and pray. And then she would stand up. And then she would clean the other side of the office. You see, people like Emma Danielle Gray are exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about 
in 1 Timothy chapter 2, as you heard those verses read to you. Now, just a little bit of backstory and context. Why is Paul writing to Timothy? Well, we said that Paul reveals that in chapter 3 when he says these words, Although I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is the theme of the letter. This is the theme of the series. And so now in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul really gets down into the particulars. And he's writing and saying, hey, God has a design in the way in which the church is supposed to function, the structure of it, and what this looks like. And this week, he zeroes down on one of the first particulars. He's dealt with the teaching. The Apostle Paul knows that the diet of the congregation is of utmost importance. That a congregation can become anemic if it wanders off in myths and controversies. And, and we called all of those the oohs, right? All of those things. Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, preach the gospel. That's the steady diet, the word of God. And now that that is settled, he gets into a particular and listen, this is the big idea and the thesis of the verses today, and it's this. The gathered church proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, through all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. I mean, I believe that if you were to look at these verses and you were to summarize it, you were to go, yeah, I mean, I think that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about proclaim the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is the mediator between God and man, that Jesus died to give his life as a ransom for all. And because of that, you need to proclaim that. And a particular, listen, this is so important, a particular way that the gathered church does that is through all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. So through these verses, what we're going to see is a number of things. And the first thing is this that is so important. It's the priority of prayer. Now, Paul is talking about this, what's happening right now. The gathered church, the congregation. What do we do when we congregate together, when we come together? Well, you proclaim the gospel. Well, what's a particular way we do that? Paul, through all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. But first, you need to understand this. The priority of prayer. Look at what he says in the first verse. First of all, listen, the butter slid off my biscuit a long time ago, all right? But if I'm reading the Bible... And I see someone say, first of all, we, I don't know, underline what comes next or something like that, right? It's like when your mom or dad used to, like, they're getting ready to leave the house and, and they're just shouting out random stuff because they're super nervous. You're going to burn the house down, right? So they're like, remember to feed the cat and to do all of that. And they're, and they're doing that. And you're kind of wah, 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 wah. You're not really hearing anything. But then they break it with, but you listen to me. First of all, and you're like, oh, good Lord. Okay, here we go, right? First of all, then, I urge. So now he's turning it up more. 
This isn't just important. Now Paul is urging this to take place, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Um, the word first there is actually, um, it means of priority. It's, it's not so much about time, like order, it's about priority. And then the word that Paul uses, urge, is the word that he used in the first chapter. Remember when it literally means to plead and to beg with. I urge you that this right here is so important. And listen, I'll be honest, as I studied these verses this week and just started to find the flow of thought, because here's what you do in, in Bible study, and here's what's so important. Maybe you're learning about studying the Bible. You're learning about reading it. When you get to a portion that seems important or you don't understand, here's the number one rule of Bible study. You allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So you go, wow, that is super important in uh, 1 Timothy 2. Is that important anywhere else in the Bible? And the answer to that is pretty astounding. Um, we see in Luke's gospel that, that Jesus is praying. And, and it says this, now, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. You understand what's going on there? The disciples saw Jesus perform miracles. Like took a kid's Lunchable, fed 5,000 people, right? They saw Jesus preach thunder. It says nobody ever taught like this man. They saw Jesus do a lot of things. But there was one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to directly teach them how to do. It wasn't preach. It wasn't perform miracles. It wasn't to cast out demons, when they saw Jesus pray, they had to say to themselves, well, that's the source. That's the source. He does a lot of other things, but how he does that, we've never heard someone talk to God that way. That's how important prayer was. And then Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. But we see another avenue. When, when Jesus goes to the temple in a really important time of the year and and, 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 and they've got these vendors set up. And what the vendors are doing is they know that in order to enter the temple, you have to have a sacrifice. It was extortion. It wasn't just the selling of things. It was the extortion that you can't enter here unless you have a sacrifice. So one guy was like, well, I know how we can make some spare change. We maybe have a booth set up with a few pigeons, a couple of goats, and, you know, charge a little bit over what we paid for them, you know. We get a pigeon for a dollar. They need it to make a sacrifice. We can, we can, we can sell a pigeon for five dollars, guys. It's no problem, right? And they all voted, aye, right? They did that, and Jesus comes in and sees what's happening. This is the Jesus people forget about. Check out this verse. He said to them, he overthrows their tables, Right? So I'm just reminding you, anytime someone's like, well, you just need to be Christ-like. Overthrowing tables is not, off the, is not an option that you don't have to like, ignore. That's pretty incredible. Jesus was extremely passionate about this. And then he says this, my house shall be called 
a house of singing, a house of preaching, a house of service, a house of mission. He says, my father's house primarily is a house of prayer. Listen, the priority that Paul is stressing to Timothy, we see all over the New Testament. And, and what is it particularly about the gathered church that that's important? Because that's the context. Why is it so important that when, that when the church gathers together, that prayer be so central? Well, I love the way that one author put it. He put it this way. A church that practices prayer is more than a church that learns. It's also a church that leans. We learn dependence by leaning on God together. Here's the sentence. Reading the Bible helps us learn about God. That's a good thing. Reading the Bible helps us learn about God, but prayer teaches us to lean on God together. That when we come together, we come and say, we are dependent upon God to move. We can do nothing in and of ourselves, but we seek out God who is the one who initiates this thing, sustains this thing, and brings this thing to an end. And can I just side note, this isn't in my notes, and anytime something's not in my notes, I usually get in trouble, but here we go, okay? I have a, I have a deep conviction about something. That any time someone prays during the service, prayer is not observation. You as the congregation don't sit there and go, hmm, that was a sweet little prayer. Hmm, that was good. Or, well, that's a pretty quick prayer, wasn't it? That's observation. Anytime someone prays, it's an invitation for participation for you to pray as well. These moments in our service are important because Paul says that they're important. So that's the priority of prayer. The second thing is this, the plethora of prayer. I mean, look at this list. First of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. So if you read the Bible like me, you're like, goodness gracious, that's like, are those all the same thing? Are they all different things? Is this the list that we have to check and go, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this? Um, I don't think that the list is exhaustive, but I think what Paul is doing is that he's teaching us something. So let's just go through the words. What's the plethora of prayer? What do these different words mean? Well, the first one is supplications. Um, that word means offering requests for a specific need. That's what a supplication is. That God, it's a very specific request. Paul says when the church gathers together, that's a good thing. Pastor Alex talked about specific prayer requests that you have. You've been a part of our service where um, some people have called on the leaders of the church to, to pray for them and, and anoint them with oil. That's what a supplication is. Um, the next word is prayers. And you're like, well, I thought that was kind of the whole thing. What's that word? It's definitely the most common word in the New Testament used for prayer. And it simply means a conversation with God. It means talking to God. Supplication is specific. 
Prayer is general for talking to God. And then this, intercessions. Intercessions. Interesting. Um, A lot of us know the one half of this meaning. Intercession, if you're thinking intercession, intersection, intercede? Yeah, you're right. It means to intercede for people, to pray for other people. That's kind of what it means. It's actually not the majority. The original word that's used means this. It means a confidence in meeting with someone. Oh, that's good. Paul says, do you know what kind of prayer there is? There's, um, there's supplications where we ask God for specific stuff. Then there's kind of like, you know, prayer in general where we're talking to God. But there's also intercession, which means, yeah, sure, you pray for other people, but that's kind of covered in supplication. What this word actually means is you have a confidence when you pray to God that you know that God, I love the corporate prayer that we prayed. How would your prayer life change if you believed that God is more willing to answer your prayers than we are to even pray? I think that would change our prayer life. So there's supplication, there's prayers, there's intercessions, and then this, there's thanksgivings. Thanking God for who he is and what he's done. It's incredible, right? Um, Something pretty profound happened to me this week. I'll give you a little bit of insight. What happens is I relentlessly try to study a passage and throw myself into it and beg God for gold. I just just dig. It's all I do. All week long, I dig in the passage and I find a piece of gold. And you know what I do on Sunday? I come in here and go, look at this. Look at this. I found that right there. And it's like, oh, it's just incredible, right? It's awesome what God does. But the back half of that is, is that God is using that passage to beat me in submission all week long, okay? So it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to teach that? Well, have you figured that out yet, buddy? And it's like, oh, all right. And so I'm learning. My mind is open all week long. And so it's the morning routine. We're taking the kids to school. And I got Piper Graham with me. And in the morning, I'm trying to fire off some texts of like, hey, I prayed for you today. Love you. Cheering for you. All of that stuff. And Piper was in the car. And I was doing the the speaking text, which is a 50-50 of what's going to happen, right? You have no, I mean, God forbid there's background conversation happening, right? And in the middle of it, it's like, I love you. I'm praying for you. Um, Lost Moss has the best cheese dip. And what were, you know what I mean? And so I did the auto text and I said, hey, bud, love you, praying for you, cheering for you, proud of you. And Piper said, what's wrong with your friend, dad? I said, what do you mean, babe? And she said, well, you just told your friend that you were praying for him. And she had a real puzzled look on her face, and it dawned on me. I looked at her, and I said, baby girl, do you think that when I tell someone I'm praying for them, that means something bad's going on? And she said, well, yeah, yeah. And conviction washed over me. Primarily, kids, in that situation, Piper thought, we go to God when there's an emergency. What about Thanksgiving? What about when the ice cream truck drives by on a hot day? And we get our kids on the driveway and we go, isn't God good? God gave us taste buds so we could enjoy this. But like, listen, and, and it really prompted me this. 
I think many of us need to move from emergency prayer to intimacy prayer. I think that's what, right? That's, the list is not exhaustive, but what Paul's saying is if you're finding yourself in one area, that's not a sign of intimacy. Oh no, there's a problem. Pray, 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 pray. Good things are happening crickets in that sense. So we see the priority of prayer. We see the plethora of prayer. And then check this out. The people that we pray for is the third thing. Ready? Um, I made this point number three so you would walk along with me in the sermon. And just to clear the air, this is where you get offended. Okay? So let's go. Point number three, right? First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Love that. All people. That's great. For kings. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul. Could you come again with that? It's for all people. We love that, Paul. All people. For kings and all who were in high positions. All people were for that. For God so loves the whole world. And, and here's what we love about the term all people. By the way, if you're doing a Bible study, look at how many times the Apostle Paul uses the word all in this passage. It's like six times that he uses it. All is so safe to pray, isn't it? Just God be with all the people. That's great to pray. And, and then we get to leave prayer going, I prayed for all the people. And I prayed today and this is good, right? That's so safe to pray. And then Paul's like, kings, kings. Interesting that as Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus, we know that the Roman emperor at the time also has a bounty out on Christians' heads. And what does Paul do? Paul says, pray for all people, kings, and all those who are in high authority. So the first person is all people. That's great. The second one is kings. Did you know that one of the marks, please don't miss this, one of the marks of the early church and Christians and how they stood out in the Roman world is this very thing? Example, there's an early church father by the name of Tertullian. Tertullian is one generation removed from the apostles. So the guy that laid his hands on Tertullian for his anointing as a pastor was like Peter or John that laid his hands on that guy. That's a pretty big deal, okay? And in 200 AD, Tertullian writes a letter to someone who is seeking to understand what the Christian faith is about. It's really incredible. It's one of the most exhaustive historical documents that we have about the early church. What did they do in their worship services? What was it like? How did that go? And Tertullian gets to a section and says this, we pray for the emperors, for their ministers and those in power, that their reign may continue that the state may be at peace and that the end of the world may be postponed. What? I don't know about you, but when I scroll Facebook and then I read this, there's a disconnect somewhere. There's a disconnect somewhere. 
Somewhere along the way, we as Christians bought into the fear-mongering, and then the church somewhere along the way fell into the trap of politics and the temptation to prostitute the church for votes. And listen to me, the very thing that Christians should be known for is not jokes about our president. I'm over it. It's not funny anymore, right? Because God has placed that man in that position, and Romans 13 says whether it's for good, good or it's for bad, it's not of your opinion. God placed them there. And maybe our country would look a little bit different than less of go Brandon jokes and more praying about President Biden by name. And I don't care who it is. If it was Obama or Trump, I'd say the same thing. I am weary to my bones that there is no difference in Christians and non-Christians when it comes to the political sector. We do not live in a democracy as Christians. We live in a monarchy. Jesus is king and you didn't cast a vote. He is ruler of the universe. And the fact that that's provocative, and some of you under your breath are saying like, well, I'll pray for him, I'll pray for it, shows the very point. That we are, the church is so far from the mission of God that we really believe this is our home. We're so comfortable here. And we forget that we are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. And our allegiance is to a king and a kingdom. We pray for kings and then this, For all those who are in high positions. Who's that? Your boss? First responders? Police officers? School teachers? The administration? All of those things. Why? Well, he goes on to say, look, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and post on Facebook when we're so angry with every decision the administration's made. That's in the Greek. You got to get a study Bible to see that, (laughs) right? No, godly and dignified in every way. Here it is, verse 3. Pastor, I want to do the will of God. Pastor, pastor, I just want to know if I'm in the will of God. Pastor, I want to do what's good, right? Oh, I want to be in the will of God. Verse 3, verse 3, everyone, look at your Bible. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I want to do the will of God, praying for all people that they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what now we're getting into. The people you pray for regularly reveal what you really believe about God and prayer. That's what Paul's saying. Do you know what our temptation is as Christians? where we live, in our town, in our sector, in all of this. Um, I heard someone from a foreign country say something pretty funny. And they said, you know, the problem with you Americans is this. You believe you're the only people in the world. You believe you're the only people in the world. And there's like a whole thing going on out here. And here's what Paul's saying. If, you, if you're left to your own devices, our prayers drift to what is comfortable, who we're like, and what is easy. And Paul says, don't forget, we pray for all people, kings and everyone. 
It reveals what we believe about God. And then the last thing is this, the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer. Two quick things, we already went over it, that we may live godly lives. That's why we pray for the kings, for the presidents, for those in high authority. It's okay to pray. God, we pray. Proverbs says that a nation whose God is the Lord will prosper. God's ways are good. And what we pray is, God, that their rule and reign would be subjective to you, Jesus. And if that's true, then their decrees will be good and there will be peace in the land. It's okay to pray those things. But listen, these people were praying this while their door was getting kicked in. While they were being tried for being Christians. And what's the second thing that we pray for when it comes to all people? Well, Paul says it. That people would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, through the years, that's been contorted. That it says, see, everybody will be saved at the end. Parents, can I ask you a question? Do you desire that your children obey you? For sure. Is your desire the same thing as your decree of obey me? <laughs> no, it ain't, right? God's heart, God's heart as a loving father is that every rebellious child would find their way home. That's what we pray for. God desires that all people would be saved in this understanding. God desires that all people would be prayed for in his desires that they would come home. Now listen, we're going to do something very particular in just a few minutes in regards to application. It's the whole reason why we changed around our service. As the staff, we were very convicted by this this week, that the portion of our service how much of that is given over to prayer, specifically of what Paul is talking about. We don't have to guess. Look, he says this is good in this. The first application for you is very simply this. Many of you may not know about our boiler room prayer ministry. It happens at 8.30 in one of those back rooms. They take the prayer requests. They pray over those. And then throughout the week, you pray for a certain, a certain number of family in our church and all of those things. Listen, if you are wanting to grow in your prayer life, this is not like varsity team prayer. This is where you come to learn how to pray. Alan and his sweet wife, Vicki, Alan's a board member. They would be delighted to see you. That's a direct application. But the second application is sort of a question that I have, and it's this. Imagine this with me. Imagine Jesus comes to you and says, Hey, I am going to answer all of your prayers from this last week. My follow-up question would be this. How many people would be saved today? Listen, I'm not, there, there's no guilt here, but at some point, at some point, we've got to press in and go, is this really our desire of what we're doing in this? And so what you have is an insert in your bulletin. And here's what we're getting ready to do. We are getting, like, God forbid we actually do what the Bible says, right? We are getting ready to pray for our president and the vice president by name. And I would ask that you take this insert home and pray with this this week. And then there's going to be a portion where I pop back up. And then I want you to pray for your boss, 
for um, school teachers, for police officers, for those that you know who don't know Jesus. We are going to do what the Bible says because God blesses obedience. So Westside, I would have you stand to your feet right where you're at. Grab out that insert. And right now, right now what we're getting ready to do, we know from what we just learned that God is in heaven with a smile on his face, seeing the gathered church pray for kings and those who are in authority. And we know in the verse that God is in heaven going, and that pleases me. That's good. That's right. That's how the kingdom of God expands. So Westside, lift your voice and let us pray how the Bible has prompted us to pray. Sovereign Lord, we earnestly pray for our president, Joseph R. Biden Jr. and Vice President Kamala Harris and their administration. Your providence removes rulers and sets up rulers. And so we receive them now as coming from you for this time and hour. Whether we support their political stances or not, we humbly ask you to direct their hearts and minds like you would a stream of water, guiding it wherever you please, knowing that they are first to be your ministers. We fervently pray that what is of importance to them would be your honor and glory. We petition that everyone in your church may faithfully, appropriately, and obediently honor them according to your blessed word and ordinance. Jesus, we confess now that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you sit above every heavenly throne. Because of this, we rest in your rule and reign. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. Prayer is about participation, not observation. And so your church, we've prayed corporately. But God, right now, we would just ask that each individual member would pray just like we were taught in chapter 2. We would pray for our president and vice president, the administration. For some of us in the room, it's the first time we've ever done it by name. For some of us, it's complicated. But God, my prayer is that for all of us, it would be simply our desire to do your will. So God, as we worship and as we sing, may it be a prompt for us to understand the importance and priority of what we have just learned. And just maybe, just maybe, that through the power of prayer, your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Popper Bluff, in Missouri, and in the United States, and in the world, as it is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Worship and pray with us.